0: Welcome to Patient Centricity, a ZS podcast. We are the industry leaders within the health and health technology space. For over 40 years, we've been bringing patient-led business models to life. We're also the authors of a new book, Reinventing Patient Centricity. Our vision is to transform global healthcare and drive toward a more connected ecosystem. In this series we will focus on how to incorporate the patient's voice in the decision-making process across all healthcare systems from pharmaceuticals to managed care to life sciences companies thus improving health and business outcomes for all. I'm your host Victoria Summers principal with CS in the patient health and equity space. We're honored to have with us today my colleague, Sharon Sakotliff, who is a co-author of the book, Reinventing Patient Centricity, uh, that came out in uh, 2022. As Sharon is an associate principal in our patient health and equity practice, um, and she leads our patient centricity work in the U.S., Her background, uh, in addition to patient centricity, she has a master's degree in public health from Columbia University's Mailman School of Public Health and an extensive marketing and communications experience in and outside of healthcare. At Zia, Sharon helps companies develop strategies and build capabilities to further patient centricity and meaningfully incorporate the patient's voice into business decisions, helping create greater impacts for patients, people, as well as the business itself. Welcome, Sharon.
1: Thanks so much, Victoria. So happy to be here.
0: Sharone, I would just love to get started by just hearing you talk a little bit about what is patient centricity? It's such a buzzword that's been around the industry for so long. I'm really intrigued by the title of the book about reinventing patient centricity. What does that that mean?
1: Yeah. I love this question. Thank you, Victoria. You know, and the thing is that the actual definition of patient centricity matters less than the components and what it means to the individual and to an organization. You know, we have a client that um, is fond of saying, if you ask 10 people how to define patient centricity, you're going to get 10 different answers. And I think that's been all of our experiences, right? (laughs) To the point where... Patient centricity has become a bit of a a buzzword, right? It means so many different things that sometimes it doesn't mean anything, Uh, which is why we call the book Reinventing Patient Centricity. How might we make this truly meaningful again, right? Meaningful to companies and meaningful to the individual, right? The people living with conditions, When we at ZS think about patient-centricity, there there are four components that we believe are, are super critical. One is around the culture and the mindset, right? You've gotta be able to believe that focusing on the patient is going to lead to outcomes. The second is around having the capabilities that enable people to actually be patient-centric, to focus on people, to understand them. And that leads us to the third component, which is around this understanding and insights, right? You need to be able to understand people on multiple dimensions and what is meaningful to them, not what we think is meaningful to them. And the last component, which is I think one of the most important is that it drives impact and outcomes for people as they define it and for the business and ultimately for the ecosystem at large. You know the question we often get is if the definition of patient-centricity doesn't really matter as much as getting there how do you get there and we like to think about this as insights right understanding the patient perspective integrating that into company culture and business practices right how you make decisions being able to improve the patient experience through capabilities, and then ultimately having impact. We call this the four eyes and most of our clients find this really useful as a framework to think about how might we get to uh, becoming a patient-centric organization.
0: No, that's excellent. Really, really great overview, Sharon. And I love the, um, I love that fourth eye, that impact. I think that's a that's one that we're going to want to dig into more uh, in our conversation. Before we go there, though, I would love to hear you know you personally talk about what this means because you've really devoted so much of your time and effort over these past several years to the issue of patient centricity and, and writing of this book, what does this, what does patient centricity and, and the kind of reinvigoration of this concept really mean to you?
1: Yeah, man, that's a, that's a tough question. (laughs) You know, um, I spent about a decade early in my career working in fashion and luxury lifestyle where I dedicated a lot of time to giving people a really Great luxury experience with hotels or food establishments or you know other big brands and um, I learned a lot in that time period about how you can impact the experience for the individual uh, and it's part of the reason why I decided to to move into healthcare and into pharma to focus on the experience of people because we we do a pretty poor job of connecting with people and communicating with them and engaging with them around their health and an even worse job when we communicate and engage with them around their their illnesses. And um, I truly believe that we can change that and it's important. Uh, I've seen it. I've seen it in action. Right? When we focus on people, when we understand their experience, then we can improve their experience. We can improve their outcomes. And by the way, when you improve outcomes for individuals, you're going to help improve outcomes for your business as well. Right? They're going to stay on medication longer. You're going to be able to get that reimbursement that you're looking for. So there's a win-win for everyone. You know, I'd love to kind of talk
0: more what you were talking about there about you know how you can do. There's almost this this kind of snowball effect that when you start to you know focus on uh, patients and People and really think about their insights and how that drives to greater outcomes. When you think about um, about patient centricity, you know what are some of those factors that's making it so important today and, and right now? Why why is it so critical that we focus on this now?
1: Oh yeah, and Victoria, we're really at the point of no return, right? I think today we're at a point where patient centricity is no longer a nice to have; it's it's actually a business imperative, exactly because of those factors, right? And there's both factors that are internal and external to the pharma i think one of the things that's become critically important is um the focus on on health equity and understanding that a lot of the healthcare costs in the ecosystem are being driven by those who may not have good access right who may not have um, an understanding of of some of the information and uh during the pandemic we really saw a big spotlight a spotlight being shown on this right people who had access to technology were able to get care people who didn't have that um, technology literacy weren't, right? And that that actually impacted their care, their health. Unfortunately, people died. So we, we have to fix that as an industry. And I think that's one of the biggest forces that's driving change right now. We know that people's outcomes are impacted. Uh, about 70 percent of their health outcomes are impacted by things that are not the actual drug or treatment itself, right? It's things like um, socioeconomic status. Sometimes it's even things like gender or race. Sometimes it's things like education, household income, right? I mean, just think about it. If you're worried about where are my kids sleeping tomorrow night, are you really thinking about, hey, have I taken my medication? Probably not. There's also a bunch of forces that are um, external to pharma. For example, regulators, right, and payers are demanding patient input. The EMA and the FDA, right, patient-focused drug development. Um, we see that uh, bodies that are um, leading access are saying, hey, that's great that you've got some clinical outcomes, but what else? Right? There are many other treatments out there that might do something similar, but what else are you doing? Are you helping to improve quality of life? Are you reducing overall healthcare costs? Are you improving people's ability to live life as they want it? Right? What are those PROs that, that matter? Yeah, I think
0: that's so, so important. I, you know, when you think about all of those things that you just cited as accelerators and, and kind of driving this sense of urgency, they all feel like they're really connected to this idea of, of data and measurement. I mean, isn't there, is there something that, about that that, that's, that's more important or, or more at the forefront now? That is
1: absolutely it, Victoria. Today, we're at a place where we have the ability to collect a lot of data about people's desires, people's experiences, what works and what doesn't work. We have the technology and um, the analytic capabilities to look at that data in many different ways and even anticipate what someone might need before they even need it. I think that the key thing is that companies have to make that a priority. And we've seen many that have already done that, right? UCB and AbbVr, I think some of the more notable um, case examples in the, in the public domain. And guess what? It's been great for their business.
0: Mm, interesting. When you talk about those specific um, companies, are there examples you can share? I know the, the book is chock full of examples. I just wonder if there's a couple you could pull out. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Um, specifically around uh, data and, and um, analytics
0: or, or, or just what some of those other companies are doing? You mentioned UCB was doing some great things
1: that was having an impact. Any, anything specific you could share? Yeah, I think another um, key area. So I'll, I'll pivot a little bit. Another a key area thing that we're seeing is the, the recognition of things like partnership, right? So we as pharma touch just one very small part of an individual's life, right? And no one really wants to be a patient. They're a person with a life, with a, with a family, with ideas, with with thoughts, with beliefs, right? And so being a patient is just a very tiny, tiny part of, of who they are. And I think recognizing that um, we need to meet people where they are and, and be relevant where it makes sense is one that's incredibly important. I'll give you some examples of companies that have done this really well, like recognizing that um, pharma plays a small role in partnering with others to improve the experience. One example that comes from uh, UCB, and and we talk about this one a little bit in the book, is um, an initiative they had uh, for people with Parkinson's. One of the things that the company noticed was that there was a lot of drop-off happening at, at certain points, and they couldn't quite figure out why right? Why people were were dropping off their medication. And so they went ahead and they did additional research and they started to follow some patients around. And what they found is that when people with Parkinson's were hospitalized for things that are not related to the Parkinson's disease, what ended up happening is that um, they were, the hospitals didn't have the medication they needed. And so they were switched. And so they had lots of really bad experiences in terms of side effects, in terms of withdrawal, in terms of just being very confused. And this this left everybody in a a really poor state. So UCB decided, we're going to fix that. And they set up a system where they can get the drug to those places very quickly and as needed, so that people could continue to live their lives and continue with their Parkinson's medication, even though they weren't in the hospital for anything related to Parkinson's to begin with.
0: I love that. I love that example, Sharon, because I feel like it's something that gets overlooked so often. Um, you know, with, with pharma and and talking about healthcare, is that so often there's a focus on one particular um, you know challenge or health issue or disease, and we're you know multifaceted people. We have lots of different you know challenges that we deal with, and thinking about that kind of whole person perspective is so is so interesting. It's great to to hear an example of of an organization doing that.
1: You know, another really interesting example exactly to your point about thinking about the whole person um, is in uh, something that happened to us recently with a client. We had a client that was focused on a clinical trial in um, in NASH, right? And they were looking for these individuals that had NASH, severe so NASH, and that's it. The thing is, as we started to look into the data there wasn't anybody like this, right? These people who had NASH actually had a lot of other comorbidities. And so it helped the client understand that, hey, NASH is just this one small part of their life. They've got all these other health conditions and other things that they're managing. And um, it really helped to reframe the thinking and how they might go about the trial. So to your point, Victoria, it's really, really important to think about the whole person.
0: Sharon, just for our listeners who may not be familiar, could you tell us what NASH is? Oh, yes, absolutely. NASH stands for non-alcoholic stetohepatitis. Thank you for sharing that. Um, one of the things that I'm wondering is if you, you have a lot of conversations with leaders and, and uh, you know, decision makers within um, life sciences companies, you know, what, do you, what do you tell them that they really need to be thinking about? What, what are some of your messages to them?
1: Yeah, um, I think that's a great question and one that I get a lot. I think the first thing that leaders really need to consider is what, what's important to their organization in terms of patient centricity, right? When we do the patient centricity maturity assessment and benchmarking across the industry, what we see is that different companies lead in different aspects of patient centricity. And that's really driven by their business strategy and their pipeline, right? Their priorities as a company. I think one of the things that um, it's really important for leaders to understand is that patient centricity is not in addition to your business. It needs to be part of and intrinsically tied to your business if you're going to reap the benefits of a focus on the patient. So the first thing to do is really to understand where, where is your company, right? How does your company rank in terms of, your strategy? Do you have a strategy for patient centricity? Is there a mission? Is there a vision? Do people know it? Do you have the capabilities, right? Have you um, funded these? So for example, we fielded a study uh, not that long ago with leaders in patient centricity from across the globe, 30 different companies. And what we found was that while the majority of Folks, um, over ninety percent agree that patient centricity is critical. Very few, less than twenty percent, were fully funding patient centricity.
0: Almost that investment and you know time and and financial investment. Um, it really feels like it's tied to something that you were talking about earlier about one of your four eyes and that last eye of, of impact. I wonder if you can talk a bit more about impact and how different companies are starting to you know measure that impact. What are they finding? Or they, you know, there seems to be sometimes this question of well, patient centricity is seems like the right thing to do, but is it also going to make good business sense? How are you starting to see companies measure impact?
1: So 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 important, Victoria, and I'll tell you why. Even with the best intentions, you know, I've seen such really incredible programs in patient centricity dissipate without that connection to KPIs in the business. So it's critical, and if anybody listening to this is thinking of putting out a patient-centricity program, please, please, please make sure that you've got KPIs and that those are tied to your business. So um, the way, and it's been incredibly challenging, right? Very, very, very difficult. There are many different ways in which organizations are starting to think about what good like looks like and measuring impact. One organization, for example, has made investment in patient centricity, investment in patient, part of their XCOM uh, dashboard, their leadership dashboard, right? So the CEO of this company regularly looks at what sorts of investments are we making in patients when he looks at the overall financial health of the company. For another company, they really think about what is our return to patient, right? They're, they're RTP. What is it that mm-hmm. we're giving back to individuals and how do we know that it matters? I think one of the more interesting ways in which we're starting to work with companies on measuring in- impact is um, this concept that we call POI, patient outcomes impact. And uh, the reason why that we R-O-I? developed this- Not ROI. Oh, yes. (laughs) Good one. Not ROI. um, (laughs) Because it's been very challenging to link patient-centricity directly to ROI for many reasons, some of them being compliance-related. The reality is, is that the world is changing, right? Value in the past was derived from the, um, you know, the, the functional benefits of a product. It reduces my migraines. It has fewer side effects. I only need to take it once a week, right? That was the past. And that's what we looked at. We looked at market share, we looked at things like, um, you know, growth in terms of the overall market. Today, we're in the age of experience, right? We look at patient experience, we look at customer experience, we look at the impact of a combination of patient experience and, and how that, with the medication helps to improve outcomes, right? But the future, the value in the future is all about outcomes. Why? Because the science has gotten better, because there are a lot of different treatments out there and many have similar efficacy. So how do you decide what's more important? And so we've developed this measure around patient outcomes impact to help people figure out what do your investments, what do they how do they impact people's outcomes in a way that people, people living with conditions actually define, right? Ask any CEO, how does your how do your investments impact your ROI? Why? They can tell you right away. But ask them the same question yeah. in terms of patient outcomes, and many will struggle. I have yet to meet one that can tell me exactly what the uh, impact of their investments are on patient outcomes. The thing is, though, as we head uh, further into value-based care, that's the reality, right? Your shareholders are going to demand that. So we might as well start now.
0: That's awesome. It's exciting. When you think about that future and that reality, um, you know, how do you think about patient centric- centricity kind of evolving and, and changing?
1: I think patient centricity in the future is going to start earlier it's going to start when we're first thinking about what is this asset that we're going to develop? What's the unmet need that we're going to focus on? And the reason being is that there are so many Me Too products out there that don't really derive value. But if you start in very early research to think about what is the benefit that we can provide to patients and start to consider what are the preferences, the things that are important to them, even as you're thinking about formulation. For example, is this blister pack too difficult for someone with dexterity issues to, open? right? Or if someone has a degenerative (laughs) disease, if we make the pill too small, are they going to be able to swallow it, right? We have a a really interesting story in the the book from a patient advocate named Kyle, who's done a lot of work um, in the industry. And uh, he shared that exact story where a pharma company he was working with was looking to um, advance how they deliver for patients. And so they were thinking about perhaps making a pill smaller, right? For this condition, because their thinking was, okay, if it's smaller, it'd be easier to swallow. But, you know, Kyle's point was, no, 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 don't do it. Don't do it. You know, as I lose feeling in my throat, you know, I- I'll be I'll be able to know that I actually swallowed the pill if it's big. If it's small, I I'll never know. I'll, I I won't know if it's happened. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think if we start to consider um people's needs and perspectives earlier on, we're going to save ourselves the headaches of clinical trial rescue. You know, um there was a really interesting conversation at a at a conference recently around are you looking for the unicorn patient? Like does the person that you're looking to recruit to this trial even, even exist, right? As we talked about with that NASH example, there are no unicorns, right? People live in the reality of many different conditions. And you have to understand that. Um, we've seen a lot in terms of um, you know, there's a client we were working with who was doing uh, a trial in um, in breast cancer and looking to recruit African-American women. And they really struggled. Why did they struggle? Well, because they didn't provide enough information to individuals. Right. They didn't know that. Um, and so really understanding who you're talking to and being in their communities is, is really, um, really critical. I'll give you another example. Um Uh, this one's in the, in the public domain, so folks can, can Google it and look it up. It's the Protect Prostate Cancer Study. This was a study that took place a couple years ago and had a lot of trouble recruiting and they, they couldn't really figure out why because what they were asking people to do didn't seem to them very, very burdensome. It was a, you know, a, a lighter protocol. When they started digging into it, what they learned was that they had this term when they were talking to patients about the protocol that was, um, watchful waiting. And when people heard watchful waiting, what they understood was, oh, you're going to watch while I die? And so what they did is they changed Mm -hmm. that language, right? They they changed it to active monitoring. And guess what? That study saw a 75% increase in successful recruitment. So uh, yeah, and and it's something that if they talk to patients when they were developing some of those communications... Exactly.
0: They totally could have averted. You're s- sharing so many amazing examples, Sharon, and I just want to, um, you know, kind of highlight for those of our listeners that don't maybe are kind of trying to take notes as quickly as they can. A lot of these examples are in the book, Reinventing Patient Centricity, and and that I think that's one of the really exciting things about having this book be out there and published and and something that people can access um, because of all of these like rich examples and and details that, that are in that book, um, I wanted to ask you, you know, when you think about the, the process of writing this book, I mean, this took a tremendous amount of time and effort, um, you know, on and, and your part and, and the parts of, of other, you know, the authors as well, but you as kind of one of these lead authors,
1: could you talk a little bit about what that was like and what that meant for you? Oh, absolutely. And, and I know as uh, the author of one of our most important chapters, Victoria, you probably went through this as well. You know, one of my favorite things about writing the book was the opportunity to talk to people, to talk to patients, patient advocates, to talk to our clients, to really get a sense of what's working, what's not working, what have been their challenges, right? To dig into the things that are beyond what's in the public domain, right? The, the, stuff, the stuff that you don't read out there. Um, and, and to connect and, and get a sense of where do we need to go? You know, the last chapter of the book really talks about that future, right? What could patient centricity in pharma look like? And to do that, we, we held a series of interviews with CEOs and senior leaders within pharma to get their perspective on, on what this could look like. And it was quite surprising that the examples that we ended up with were from outside of pharma, right? Things like, um, some things that Delta did or, or Netflix, right. Or, or of course, Apple. Um, the other thing that I think was really so meaningful for me and, and a little bit difficult was, um, you know, we worked closely with patients and patient advocates as we were developing the book, because how could we possibly write a book about patient centricity and not involve patients? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Very good point. Yeah, that was a bit important. Um, And so when we had the first manuscript ready, uh, we sent it to a few patient advocates and um, I had a very interesting call with one of them after she had read the first manuscript. And she said, okay, the concepts you have are interesting, the stories are powerful, but I think you're missing the point around health equity and diversity and representativeness. And, uh, you know, that was a little bit hard to hear because we were pretty far along, but it was so useful to sit with her on the phone and talk about the places where she thought maybe we could do more. Maybe we need to push ourselves harder. And you know what? Guess what? We did that. We took the extra time. We did the extra research. And uh, I do believe that we have a, a better product be- because of it. And that's the thing, right? That's the lesson for our clients. That's a lesson for pharma, right? Nothing about me without me. Let's bring the people along.
0: Oh, I love that. Nothing about me without me. Well, thank you so much, Jerome. Before I let you go, I would love to just hear, is there anything that we didn't cover today or something um, that, you know, we wanted to, to be sure to touch on? Anything else that, we, that you'd like to, to add? Yes. Thank you.
1: One thing. Start somewhere. You know, patient-centricity can seem very big, very lofty, you know, um, intimidating. The thing is, it doesn't have to be and you've got to start somewhere, there's nothing wrong with having an initial step, an initial experiment, an initial pilot. Um, just don't get stuck there, right? I think many uh, in pharma get stuck in what um, a client of ours calls pilotitis, um, right? Where we try out a bunch of different things. So my, my advice would be start somewhere. It's okay to start smaller, but then quickly move on to something meaty and institutionalize what you've learned. Thank you so much, Sharon. This
0: has been really a fantastic conversation. Thank you. This has been the Patient Centricity Podcast by ZS. You can find our book, Reinventing Patient Centricity, on Amazon in hard copy or audio. You can also find us at zs.com. Executive Producers, Samantha Keys and Georgiana Moreland. Until next time.